2: Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. Welcome back to the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host Mike Coscarelli. Last time we discussed the first sports in the American colonies, specifically in New England and Virginia. Today, we enter the 1800s, and sports go modern. During the American Revolution, sports sort of go on hold, which, as you can imagine, makes a good amount of sense. Those Virginians that we talked about last week, who were A-plus eye-gougers, had to save that energy for fighting the British. It's probably better spent that way. In the 1800s, however, we see the roots of modern society get planted and help usher in the first sports that would be somewhat recognizable to us, primarily horse racing. Now, my wallet and I have a bit of a complicated relationship with horse racing, okay? Okay. It's a love-hate relationship. But in the 1800s, it's the first modern American pastime. Didn't know that? Well, that's why Matt is here to tell you all about it. Matt?
3: Okay. On to today's topic. Coming out of the American Revolution and into the early 19th century, sports throughout the United States, they were unorganized, very local, and as we discussed last time, very bloody affairs. You know, think backcountry rough and tumble fighting. But as the 1800s progressed, this is going to start to change. As the 19th century progressed, both sports and America itself became what we might call more modern. And that's our topic today, modern sports. And we're going to do three things. First, I want to touch on all the changes that were occurring in the United States in the first half of the 19th century, changes that allowed sports to spread and to flourish And as you're going to see, this is really the story of city sports, urban sports. Then I'm going to focus on one of these sports, horse racing. Horse racing is the first great spectator sport in the United States. And there is a very interesting reason why. And then third, we're going to end today with a new theory or a justification for sports that emerged in this era. It's an idea that still holds sway today, and it's an idea that teaches us to celebrate the good or the the morality of sport. All right, but let's begin with point number one here, with the historical context, as all good historians do. And we are all good historians in this course. Let's ask the question, what allowed for the rise of sports in the United States? Or another way to think of this. Let's explore the changes that allowed for the emergence of a truly national sports culture. All right, coming out of the American Revolution and into the early 19th century, sports throughout these newly United States, they were small, unorganized, local affairs. There was a historian once who was trying to make sense of early America. And he described the nation as a series of hundreds of little islands, you know, sort of each island disconnected from the other. In early America, people rarely traveled from one region to the next. And so each of these islands, so to speak, they had their own traditions there, their own cultures, there were different languages and religions. And the sports and games that they played on each of these islands were unique as well. What did Virginians know about the games and sports they played up in New York? And what did New Yorkers know about what they played up in Massachusetts? But in the first half of the 19th century, this starts to change. As both sports and the United States itself, it became more interconnected, more modern. And the key factor in this interconnectedness, it's urbanization. People move into the cities. Over the course of the 19th century, the United States becomes an urban nation. In the United States in 1820, there were only 12 cities with a population over 5,000. Only 12. I just think that's remarkable. By 1850, there were over 150 cities with that many people. The United States was well on its way to becoming an urban industrial nation. In fact, by the end of the century, by 1900, more Americans lived in cities than lived in the countryside. And in these growing American cities, you had a lot of people in a relatively small area. And these people were looking for leisure. They were, they were looking for entertainment to compensate for the loneliness of urban life. You know, both playing and watching sports linked people into a community, uh, a smaller community within the larger impersonal urban environment. You move from a Pennsylvania farm, say, to to New York City and you don't know anybody. You are an, an anonymous face in the crowd. So you join a rowing club or a baseball club or you go to a horse race all of these events linked strangers together into a community of players and spectators. Improvements in transportation, they were also very vital to the rise of modern sports. In the early 19th century, steamboats, they carried horses, trainers, and spectators, carried them to racetracks outside of the crowded city. They carried prize fighters and prize fight fans to distant islands where fights could occur without interference from the law. We will talk about this in an upcoming lecture. Fun fact, perhaps not surprisingly, steamboat racing itself became a sport, though it was a terribly dangerous one as boilers pushed to their maximum. They often exploded, killing passengers and crew alike. Actually, maybe that was a not so fun fact, but. It's a fact. After the Civil War, railroads, they did the same thing. They served the same purpose, but even more so, connecting Americans all over the East and the Midwest. And then with the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869, American sports could now truly become national. The Cincinnati Red Stockings, for example, they were baseball's first all-professional team. And that same year, 1869, they were able to travel from New York to California to play baseball games, playing baseball from sea to shining sea. And we will discuss the red stockings next time. And then finally, improvements in communication. These improvements enabled and encouraged the American sports boom. The telegraph. It allowed fans to learn of distant athletic results almost instantaneously. Let's talk newspapers. Spurred by surging literacy rates in the 19th century, newspapers began to realize the value of printing sports information. And most of all, there arose a brand new type of publication, what was called the sports sheet. A sports sheet was a sports-focused newspaper. The first sports sheet was called The Spirit of the Times. It was first published in 1831. And though the paper covered many sports, its focus was horse racing. The Spirit of the Times, they they helped transform horse racing from a disorganized sport into a much more organized activity. It was this paper, The Spirit of the Times, they they lobbied for standardized rules for the sport sport. They promoted prominent races, and very importantly for the gamblers, they were the ones who set and published betting odds on all the big races. This publication made horse racing more knowable, more, more gambling-able. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. And it helped lead to the sport's popularity.
2: After the break, Get ready to meet America's first star athlete, a horse.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
3: And so now let's talk about horse racing in this era, one of these sports that absolutely benefits from all of these changes that I was just talking about. When you are talking about modern sports spectacles in the United States, it's horse racing that leads the way. Horse races were America's first national sporting events. We talked last time about the popularity of horse racing in the southern colonies. Uh, And then I started today with the suspicion about horse racing during the Revolutionary War. But after the American Revolution, Americans celebrated the role that their horses had played in gaining national independence. You know, there was the Narragansett mare named Brown Beauty. This was the horse that Paul Revere Borrowed for his famous midnight ride to warn the American patriots that the British are coming. There were the cavalry horses that American soldiers rode during the war that drove the Redcoats to distraction. Horses were celebrated soldiers of American independence, which makes it all the more interesting that the most important horse in American horse racing history was actually an English horse an English import named Diomed. And let me give you that horse's biography, the first of many athletes' biographies in this course. Diomed was an over-the-hill chestnut that arrived in Virginia from England in 1799. And Diomed, who was named after the Greek hero Diomedes, Diomed had been a star of the English horse racing scene. As a young horse, he routed the field in every race he was entered. But then his owner took him out of racing action just for a little bit to give him some much needed rest. And when he returned to the track, his tremendous speed had mysteriously vanished. Diomed suddenly just could not win a race just like that. Diomed was a has-been, and his English owner thought him absolutely worthless, but he was about to receive an offer. Across the Atlantic, a couple of Virginia horsemen, they were looking to make a splash in the emerging American horse racing scene, and all they knew of Diomed was of his fame and his past victories. And so Diomed's owner, he was gleeful when these foolish Americans offered him $5,000 for his washed up horse. Diomed was put on a boat and sent to the New World. And then the darndest thing happened. Diomed arrived in America and refound his speed. No one knows for sure what happened. Maybe the healthy sea air had revived him as he he journeyed west. Some think it was the different type of feed he was given in Virginia. But whatever the reason, Diomed started running fast and winning races. And Americans, they saw themselves in Diomed. Their descendants had also been the rejects of England and Europe, cast off to the New World because they supposedly had no worth. But in America, they had found themselves. In America, they had found their pace. They had been rejuvenated and harnessed their power. They were Diomed. Diomed was them. This was the narrative. And Diomed was such a sensation that he helped to reignite American interest in horse racing after the war. But his legacy is even greater than that. Diomed was a stud, meaning the horses that Diomed sired, they were fast as well. Almost all of the horses that were to run in the really big horse races of the 19th century, almost all of them were descendants of Diomed. So any list of the greatest athletes in American history, that list must include this immigrant from England, Diomed. So Diomed was an early American sports star who helped popularize the sport of horse racing in the 19th century. But what is ultimately going to give horse racing its tremendous meaning in this era is when promoters figured out that they should match northern horses against southern horses. The 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s. These were decades of brewing conflict between North and South when there was controversy over whether or not slavery should be legal in the United States and controversy over whether the new states entering the Union out West would they be free states or slave states. This was a conflict that culminated obviously in the Civil War. So any type of match or contest between North and South it automatically held tremendous symbolic meaning, but especially a horse race. In an era before tanks and airplanes, horses were the primary symbol of militarism. So whichever section, north or south, possessed the strongest and the fastest horse, they could make a symbolic claim of military supremacy. Plus, just think of it like this. What do many Americans like to watch race now? Cars. Well, horses were the cars of the first half of the 19th century. I mean, they were the fastest things around. And one of these north-south horse races stands out. In 1845, the fastest horse from the north, his name was Fashion. He was raced against the fastest horse from the south, Peytona. They raced for a then-record $20,000 prize at Long Island's Union Racecourse. Now, gone was the race of just a quarter mile that we talked about last time. The Fashion Peytona Competition, this was the best of three races over the course of an afternoon. Each race a massive four miles in length. So a quarter horse would no longer do. Now what you needed was a thoroughbred. These were horses that had stamina and were faster over longer distances. Now, think of it like this. These horses were thoroughly bred for both speed and stamina. Well, I propose that we think of this 1845 North-South match race, Fashion versus Peytona. I propose we think of it as the first great national sporting event in American history. And it's made possible by those modern inventions I was just discussing. First of all, this race is made possible by those changes in transportation I told you about. The southern horse, Peytona, he was shipped to the north via steamboat. I mean, without the steamboat, this race is not happening. Steamboats brought the fans to the racetrack as well. And due to those improvements in communication that I was telling you about, Everyone was reading about and discussing the north-south horse race. Across the country, in every man's mouth, was the question, are you for fashion or paytona, the north or the south, the free or the slave states? For the very first time, the whole nation came together with a shared interest in the outcome of a sporting event. It was the Kentucky Derby before the Kentucky Derby, the World Series before the World Series, the Super Bowl before the Super Bowl. I mean, what it was, it was the Civil War before the Civil War. I think it's ironic then. It was the arguments over slavery that were beginning to tear the nation apart. But it was these same arguments that brought North and South together in 1845 and created our American sports culture. Well, to the glee of the South, the Southern horse, Peytona, he won the match race, sweeping the first two heats. Telegraph lines, they transmitted the results to Richmond, Virginia, to Charleston and Savannah, Nashville and New Orleans, where men poured into the streets and they fired the revolvers into the air. It was a show of jubilation throughout the South that would not be repeated until secession. And the mood, of course, was much more somber in the North. We'll get them next time, Northerners said. Okay, we've done a lot today. We've discussed the context in which American sport began to become more modern, and we just explored a prominent example of modern sport in early America. Let's end today with a modern idea, a really big modern idea. This was an idea that celebrated sport and and saw sport as a positive good. And I said this last time, this is the most important idea or, or theory about sport in American history. And it's an idea that we still live with today. This new modern way of thinking about sports, it was the answer to a to a problem that existed. And and here's the problem. The United States, as I have already told you, was becoming more urban. Due to urbanization, men, they were pouring into the city and they were filling the city's saloons and the gambling dens. They were going to the racetrack and drinking and wagering on fashion or Peytona. Other men were crowding into the offices in the cities They were the paper pushers for the urban industrial revolution. You know, they were, they were clerks or salesmen or lawyers sitting behind desks all day. They they were sedentary. And there was a growing belief or a, a growing anxiety that the cities were sapping the vitality of the American man. Now, look, there were many physically fit American men, but these were the farmers and the manual laborers, you know, the men building roads and canals. The concern was for the middle class and upper class men, the, the, the men who were going to lead the nation. You know, there was a very real concern that the future authority figures in America, that they were on physical decline. They were getting weaker. So here's the problem. How could Americans reconcile their desire to live in a nation of physically powerful men with American culture's inherent suspicion of sport, that that Puritan suspicion of sport that we talked about last time? That's the question, right? How can Americans celebrate sport when there is so much religious and moral opposition to sport, moral and religious opposition that really does come from Puritan culture? Well, the answer is something known as muscular Christianity. Muscular Christianity is an idea, a theory uh, that comes from England, but it's adopted in the United States. And muscular Christianity is the idea that being physical and engaging in good, clean, vigorous sports, it's not just how one becomes fit or has fun or makes a quick buck. It's the idea that playing sports, playing sports is one of the keys to living a a virtuous and spiritually elevated life. According to the idea of muscular Christianity, sports do not distract from a virtuous life, as the Puritans had warned. Instead, it's the idea that sports are almost a prerequisite for a virtuous life. Participation in sports, it will produce a young man who understands the value of fair play, good sportsmanship. You know, sports, they teach discipline, they teach self-denial. Sports lay the foundation then for a truly honorable and godly life. I do not think I can overemphasize the importance of this idea in American sport history. This, I would argue, is the fundamental argument in favor of sports in the United States today. Today, we just unthinkingly accept the idea that sports are good, not just for the body, but good for the mind, good for the spirit. You know, sports build character, we say. Now, we have, to a degree, removed the idea of Christian character, But we still accept the idea as a society that sports are good for a person's inner development. I mean, that's why we encourage our children to play sports. We just unthinkingly encourage them to play sports. This is why. This is where and when that idea comes from. The most eloquent proponent of muscular Christianity in the United States was a guy named Thomas Wentworth Higginson, a guy who loved the outdoors. He'd love to exercise. And in 1858, he wrote an essay called Saints and Their Bodies. And in this essay, Higginson attacked the long-standing beliefs in Western culture that the body is sinful. He argued against the idea that the truly spiritual man is supposed to be ashamed of his body. Higginson said, said no, for too long, there has existed a dichotomy in Western thought between body and mind, between body and the soul. These two entities, body and mind, they're not oppositional, Higginson said. They're part of the same great God-given peace. And as such, they must both be developed. And he said, sports, exercise, they are the key. They are the key as they teach man how to have power over both mind and body. He said, playing sports does it all. They make men physically fit. They teach men camaraderie. They teach men how to win and lose with grace. And he was just thinking about men at this time. There were some people out there thinking about women's sports, and we will get to them in this course. Now, I just told you what muscular Christianity is. You may be thinking to yourself about this idea. Well, so what? This is obvious. Healthy body, healthy mind, of course. Well, it wasn't obvious in the mid-19th century. People were suspicious of grown men playing games and sports. But guys like Higginson, they started to undo that suspicion and get Americans to think differently about sports, to start to celebrate the morality of sports. You know, looking ahead, it's this idea that playing sports can help build virtuous young Christian men. It's this idea that leads to the popularity of the YMCA in the United States, the Young Men's Christian Association. We will talk about the YMCA, what they did there, and a few of the sports that were invented at American YMCA's a few lectures from now.
2: That's it for now. Next time on The Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, the great American pastime is born. And how can you not be romantic about baseball?
1: Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
0: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.